Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. Mary, this March marks the anniversary of a certain pop singer's first album, uh, a one Katy Perry. Can you believe it? So a lot of people probably remember Katy from like the mid-2000s, but no, her first album turns 23 this year. And we have talked about Katie a lot already, but we think she deserves her own episode because, holy shit, she's done so much for pop music. In fact, we believe she deserves two episodes because her discography is just too big and too exciting to cram it all into one. So welcome to part one of our Katy Perry deep dive. And welcome to our disclaimer that we do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs and performances in this episode. The purpose of this clip is for commentary and critique. Oh. And I, I, did you like that? I'm practicing my breath work. I'm really into Survivor right now. And I, they oh. do so many like swimming challenges where you have to hold your breath. I find myself trying to practice my breath work just in case I ever end up on Survivor. That's so funny. <laughs> but let's talk about our pop princess. And like you said, Kelsey, I I feel like I knew her discography, but like going back and deep diving for this episode, I was just like blown away by how many, just how many songs, how many hits. And so that's why we're going to talk to her. And a one, did I say talk to her? Yeah, but it, it still kind of grammatically makes sense. Talk about, talk to. I wish we were, Katy Perry's joining us next week, everybody. <laughs> Manifesting, but the one and only Catherine Elizabeth Hudson a.k.a. Katy Perry, was born on October 25th, 1984 in Santa Barbara, California to Pentecostal pastors, Mary and Maurice Hudson. Now, both of her parents turned to religion after a quote-unquote wild youth. So whatever that means, but they really put this religion on their children. And so from ages three to 11, Katie was moving across the country, bopping around different states as her parents moved around and set up churches. And they finally settled down in Santa Barbara. So they, she was born there. They moved around a ton, came back. They were not well off. The family struggled financially. They would often have to use food stamps or go to the food bank. And Katie had a younger brother named David and an older sister named Angela. And growing up, the Hudson children were not allowed to eat the cereal Lucky Charms, because the word luck reminded their mother of Lucifer. Oh, my God. I know. And they were also required to call deviled eggs, angeled eggs. So that's kind of what's going on. That's the environment she's growing up in. Katie grew up primarily listening to gospel music because she wasn't really allowed to listen to non-religious music in the family home. But... Now, this is where she reminds me of myself. (laughs) She discovered popular music through CDs she had smuggled in through her friends. And Katie recalled a story about how one of her friends played You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette for her. And it just blew her freaking mind and totally started her on this songwriting and singing path that she ended up on. And so Katie's sister, Angela, sung in the church choir. And so Katie wanted to be like her big sis. So she started singing and performed some songs in front of her parents. And they eventually decided to let her take vocal lessons, just like big sister Angela. So she began officially training and singing at the age of nine and was incorporated into her parents' ministry through singing in church. By 13, Katie was given her first guitar for her birthday And by 15, Katie had completed her GED during her first year of high school and dropped out of school to pursue music full-time. So Katie's 15. She drops out of school. She's writing. She's recording. She's trying to find someone to give her a chance. And in 2001, we get her very first album. And it's probably one that many of us have never heard of. It's called Katie Hudson. And this album, unlike all her other subsequent albums, primarily incorporates Christian pop rock. And it was put out by Red Hill Records. But before the album came out, Red Hill went bankrupt. And so that put a complete kibosh on the standard, you know, marketing, promotion, all those typical things you would see when an album's getting ready to come out. As a result, Katie's first album, Katie Hudson, sold only about 200 copies. 
which is like, I mean, to see how far she's come, this is like, honestly, the coolest story ever. If anything, the lesson here is never give up from selling 200 copies to selling out, you know, a Vegas residency over multiple years. I mean, <laughs> it's like when we first started our pod, we'd get excited when we got like 100 downloads an episode. <laughs> oh, my God. So she had this experience with her first album, obviously, as I mentioned, Red Hill went bankrupt. So she was kind of left standing there like, okay, what do I do now? She knew though, she wanted to transition from gospel music to more secular music. And that's when she started working with the producer, Glenn Ballard, and ended up moving to Los Angeles at the age of 17. She decided to work with Glenn because she knew that he had worked with Alanis Morissette in the past. And as we noted, Alanis was a huge inspiration for Katie. And in 2003 is when she decided to go from Katie Hudson to Katherine Perry. And that was primarily to avoid confusion with the actress Kate Hudson. She got Perry from her mother. That was her mother's maiden name. So it just kind of worked out. And in 2004, she signed with Glenn Ballard's label, Java Records, which was then affiliated with Def Jam Music Group, which is a huge label. And she began working on a solo record that was supposed to come out in March of 2005. But all that work that she was putting into it got shelved because Java, Glenn Ballard's label, was dropped by Def Jam Music Group. So Glenn, even though his label just got dropped, he didn't leave Katie on her own and introduced her to Tim Devine, who is an A&R executive at Columbia Records. Through that, she was eventually signed as a solo artist with them. However, again, another roadblock. She was dropped by Columbia. She had been working on a new record. All that got kind of tossed aside, had to start over. And we mentioned this woman in our, our previous press episode, but Angelica Cobb Baylor was a publicity executive at Columbia, and she seemed to really take a liking to Katie as well. And she brought some of Katie's demos to Virgin Records chairman Jason Flum. And Jason liked what he was hearing. And he was like, yep, I'm into it. He was convinced that Katie could be a breakthrough star and signed her. And wasn't Perez Hilton like really helpful in making one of those connections, right? I'm pretty sure we talked about that in our Perez Hilton episode. And so you guys may remember that in 2007, she dropped the EP, You're So Gay. And Perez was instrumental in raising awareness of who Katy Perry was. You know, that was the single that introduced her to so many people, including myself. And they were really priming the pump for what be her second album, One of the Boys. So while this was Katy's second album, to many of us, it seems like it's her first because it's her first under the name Katy Perry. And this is the album that Katie had been working on for all of those years while she was dropped and shelved by all these record companies. And as Mary mentioned, she had so much material to pick from. So obviously, this album was a long time coming. It was originally meant to be released in 2005 and then again in 2007 under the name Fingerprints. So some of the songs that Katie had worked on during this years long struggle of trying to make this record made it onto one of the boys, but some of them didn't. And she gave them to other artists. And a couple of those examples are really fun. And they're really good songs, which I think just goes to show the strength of one of the boys. Some of those songs that she gave to other artists include I Do Not Hook Up by Kelly Clarkson. Long Shot by Kelly Clarkson. These both appeared on Kelly's All I Ever Wanted album. I'm obsessed with both of these songs, but especially Long Shot, which Katy Perry wrote herself. She also gave Breakout to Miley Cyrus. which ended up being the name of Miley's album. I'm also obsessed with this song. So, oh my God, before her album's even out there, she's already making waves in the industry, making those connections and showing what a talented writer she is. So on this album, Katie collaborated with the great of the greats. We have Greg Wells, Dr. Luke, Dave Stewart, and Max Martin. I mean... 
can you imagine your first big album like that's being promoted to the masses? You get Max. But Katie still co-wrote every song on the album, and she wrote three of the songs all by herself. That's one thing I love about Katie. You don't get this with all of the pop artists, but you just know with Katie that she has her hands all over her songs and her lyrics, and she just deserves that credit and recognition. It's like unmatched creativity. Oh, totally. And I mean, talk about a departure from her Christian Mm. rock debut both in commercial success and also the content of it all. One of the boys debuted at number nine on the Billboard 200. It peaked within the top 10 charts in several countries. It earned Katie two Grammy Award noms, and it has sold 7 million copies worldwide. This is her third highest selling album, which is so cool because it was her first. It's certified triple platinum, and the album cover art even felt like a rebirth of Katie, a totally new direction. We get dark hair, the pinup girl style, the bold, bright, campy lawn decor furniture. Those like lawn flamingos are in there. I mean, she came out with an image and a brand and you knew it from this. You never had to guess like, oh, is this a Katie song? Like you just knew. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about the very first single. And that would be I Kissed a Girl. Those intro beats to I Kissed a Girl. It's so identifiable. And it makes sense because Katy Perry wrote this song with Max Martin, Kathy Dennis, and producer Dr. Luke with additional production from Benny Blanco, a.k.a. Selena Gomez's man. I'm like, how old is he? Like, how has he been working since 2008? He must be a lot older than we think, right? so young. (laughs) I know. But Katie said about I Kissed a Girl, the lyrics are about the magical beauty of a woman. And that definitely tracks. Back in the dark ages, aka 2008, when this song came out, the song sparked controversy for its handling of bi-curious themes. But thankfully, in retrospect, has been credited with increasing LGBTQ awareness in pop music. This song topped the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart for seven consecutive weeks before being dethroned by Rihanna's Disturbia. It sold 4.8 million units in the United States, was certified six times platinum. Not only that, I Kissed a Girl is recognized as the 10th best-selling single in the 21st century. Like, what? That's crazy. I never would have guessed that. I would have lost that trivia. Oh, 100%. I mean, it was a huge deal. Now, according to Katie, she gave us a little bit of a background as how she came up with the concept for this song. She said, quote, the chorus actually popped into my head when I woke up. It was one of those moments where you hear artists talking about songs they get in dreams or in the middle of the night. I was like, wow, what an interesting subject matter to kind of pop into the head. And I didn't do anything with it for about a year and a half. Then all of a sudden, at the very, very end of making my album, I literally had two days left in the recording studio with Dr. Luke. We just said, we're going to finish it. It's so catchy because it won't get out of our heads, end quote. And I just find this so funny because I literally only have night terrors and I'm always (laughs) jealous when people can come up with things and be creative in their sleep. So like, point for Katie Perry. (laughs) Literally, like just stress dreams. It's fine. But a little fun fact I dug up while researching this song. Did you know, Kelsey, that Macy Gray revealed that I Kissed a Girl was initially offered to her before Katie ended up releasing the song? Like, I love Macy Gray, but I just, it would just have a totally different take, Yeah, right? I, I just truly cannot imagine anybody else singing it. Right. It just was perfect for Katie. But there was a music video. It was directed by Kinga Burza. And it features Katie in like a Moulin Rouge burlesque-inspired setting. She's like holding a freaking pussycat like for the first half of the song. Like, okay, very on theme. We get the message. Got it. And it features some cute appearances from her friends, including actress Shannon Woodward and Kesha. They play Katie's friends like in the background. They're like giggling and dancing. And I just had no idea Kesha was in this. Wow, I love that so much. But for this song, for me, I 
just hear the Swedish influence. I call it the Max Martin influence, but Dr. Luke is also Swedish. And we hear the Swedish influence on this track is what I'm trying to say. We get those intro beats, takes you quick to the chorus, heavy hitting background synths. Like no shock that I was a huge fan of this song. I I remember exactly where I was when I heard this song too. This is when I remember I was in my friend's car and I'm like, what is this like we definitely overuse the word cultural reset on this podcast but i truly believe that this sent shockwaves in the best way oh yeah it shook it the world because it was scandalous back then mm. and you mentioned that a lot of critics slammed the lyrics for their portrayals of either queer baiting there was one critic for feministing.com who said quote perry's lyrics reflect the trivialization of queer female sexuality and the cultural norms which state that female sexuality exists for the pleasure of men end quote and katie addressed this longtime controversy as she addressed the National Equality Award at the Human Rights Campaign Gala Dinner in 2017. She was receiving an award, (laughs) fittingly, and she shared that she grew up in this really strict religious home. She attended youth camps that were pro-conversion camps. Mm. And she said, quote, honestly, I haven't gotten all of it right. But in 2008, when that song came out, I knew I had started a conversation that a lot of the world seemed curious enough to sing along to. And I love that. I feel like she's really playful while pushing the boundaries. She seems like a smart person, has a good head on her shoulders, and she's not afraid to make a statement. And I feel like this song was like the best thing that she could have done. So that was single number one. Let's talk about single number two, one of my favorites, Hot and Cold. I just love how it starts off soft and sweet, and then it gets more searing and angry as it goes on. (laughs) The drama of it all. You change your mind like a girl changes clothes was so deep and profound to me at the time. I made a Facebook album called that. I'm not kidding. Oh, I love it. Like so many of Katie's songs. To me, this one just does not get old. This was written by Katie, obviously. Dr. Luke and Max Martin, as you mentioned. Produced by Luke and Benny. This song reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100. This was her second consecutive top five single. And it's one of her highest selling singles. Again, I just love that her first album, Right Out of the Mm. Gate, is some of the best of her career. She stayed in the top 10 for 18 weeks. And she beat I Kissed a Girl, which spent 14 weeks. Her only competition is herself, you know? (laughs) She was nominated for a Grammy Award and unfortunately she lost to Beyonce's Halo. This song is like a warm hug. Like this is what we call like a textbook definition earworm, ladies and gentlemen, like right here. The chorus just rolls off the tongue. Like it just makes so much sense. Hot, cold, yes, no, in, out, up, down. Like it's so simple, so sensical, but just like with that catchy Swedish upbeat melody, it's simply irresistible. Oh, I love that. The music video was fun too. We have Katie as a bride who experiences, you know, a daydream in which she pursues her groom after he flees the wedding. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so classic. I was rewatching it. It's like time for them to say their vows. And he like, you know, pauses and Katie rolls her eyes like, here the fuck we go again. This guy can't make up his fucking mind. You can just tell what's going through her head 10 out of 10 it's very like lemonade meets sex in the city the movie when carrie's left by big i love it and we are not the only ones that loved it rolling stone described this music video as a colorful cat and mouse chase that's equal parts goofy and glam i feel like that's how i've described katie too Goofy and glam at the same time. Oh, yes. So she did a bunch of promo for this song, obviously, including at the 2008 MTV Europe Music Awards, which she hosted. And I just want to take a second to appreciate that. She went from being dropped by her label multiple times and getting albums shelved multiple times to hosting an award show the same year her album comes out. I mean, that's huge. Huge indeed. And she did not slow down. She released her third single, Thinking of You. And this one is one of the three on the album that Katie wrote all by herself. Mm-hmm. 
this song deals with a breakup seemingly in which Katie does not want to move on from, but she has no choice. And, you know, she's thinking of her ex while she's with someone new, like the whole premise of the song, basically. It peaked at number 29 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was the album's only single not to reach the top 10 in the United States. The commercially released music video is set in the 1940s, and it features Katie playing a, a woman who lost her man, who is a soldier played by Matt Dallas, in battle during World War II. And I feel like Katie likes both like people going to war themes and also like time pieces. I just feel like she incorporates those themes more than once in her music videos. For this song, I feel like this is the first time as the public that we're seeing Katie's like true depth in her artistry. It's like, wow, okay, she can write her own songs by herself. They're substantive. Not that Hot and Cold and I Kissed a Girl aren't substantive, but like this one is clearly a raw and emotional ballad, seemingly from an IRL experience. Yeah, this song was elite away message and profile material. Mm -hmm. And I definitely hear the Alanis Morissette inspiration in the way that she enunciates her words in this song. I feel like she's a little bit of a chameleon. You know, when there's more of a rock song, she changes the way that she enunciates her words. But for this one specifically, when she's like, you're an Indian summer in the middle of winter, like a hard candy with a surprise center. She has these really hard R's that to me are really reminiscent of Alanis Morissette. What a great point. I never thought of that. Oh my God, thanks, Mare. Well, <laughs> shall we move along to the fourth single, Waking Up in Vegas? Yes. So this song was written with Desmond Child and Andreas Carlson, who we love, and Greg Wells produced it. He's also credited for playing all the instruments on this song. Go, Greg. <laughs> Whoa. Greg's the goat. This reached the top 10 in eight countries, including the U.S., where it peaked at number nine, and it was her third top 10 single. It was also certified two times platinum. So aside from this song being a total bop, this song is one of the reasons why Katie was signed to her record label in the first place. So we have this song to thank for Katie being in our lives at all. According to A&R exec Chris Anokute, this song was a true catalyst in getting Katie signed to Capitol Records. It was originally recorded while Katie was still under contract with Columbia for an album that was then shelved. Remember, there were two albums that did not go anywhere. And Chris heard this track on a demo tape later, and he convinced his bosses at Capitol to sign Katie, claiming that this was a number one single and Katie was going to be a star one day. And I mean, the man was not wrong. <laughs> so Katie shared that the inspiration behind this track was a real life Vegas marriage prank. She said when she was just 21, the boy she was dating at her time and her went to Vegas on a whim and decided to get fake married as a joke. They took pictures with a minister, a fake cake, a fake chapel, a fake marriage certificate even. They got outfits at a thrift store, scanned the pictures and the certificate to family members because yes, back then you had to scan photos. <laughs> <laughs> and she said that her manager at the time totally freaked out and she said it was the most hilarious stupid prank she's ever pulled and she still has the wedding dress yeah. and the certificate yeah. that is very funny but it's a little too close to home because a lot of celebrities actually did that <laughs> anyways this music video was so fun it was directed by joseph khan king of all the music videos it mm. features katie and actor joel david moore in vegas obviously partying and gambling and i love that now she is such an icon that she has her own Vegas residency. It's like it was all manifested. I mean, how cool. So cool. I feel like this song had so many of us, at least me, dreaming about going to Vegas one day and like partying like crazy. <laughs> I did end up going to Vegas for spring break in college. And you better believe we blasted this song in our hotel room. But it wasn't as crazy <laughs> as her song. Honestly, this is probably like my least favorite of the singles, but it's still a cute little bop. I love how the intro is like, the slot machine sounds. I don't know. Oh. Just like, burp, 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 burp. and I also love how she enunciates. Like, she's like, "Don't be a baby." Again, 
again, I feel like she plays around with the way that she enunciates words in every yeah. song. So, like some of the songs feel more kind of like pop punky. Some of them are more rocky. I don't know. I feel like she really plays around with that and it makes it really fun. Okay, so to promote this album, Katie, you know, was a busy bee. She appeared at the 2008 Warp Tour on a few stops. She had her own tour in 2008, 89 shows to be exact. Her first solo tour, the Hello Katie Tour. And then in 2009, she opened for No Doubt. And then also in 2009, we got a very like surprising little gift from her in her collaboration with hot producer at the time, Timbaland, and they gave us an incredible song, I would say, if we ever meet again. I was not expecting this from them. No, I love this song and also everything Timbaland touches. And I felt like this was such a great get for Katie. Yeah, like she'd worked with Max Martin. She worked with Dr. Luke. She's working with Timbaland now, like with her first album. And right after, she's already at the peak. So also in 2009, Katie met a one Russell Brand on the set of the movie Get Him to the Greek. They actually filmed a scene together where they kiss. And I'm assuming Sparks flew, but that scene got cut from the film. Foreshadowing. Yes. Like, nope, don't even go down that road. But they started dating shortly thereafter. And they got engaged on New Year's Eve 2009 going into 2010 while on vacation in India. And I believe I read they had only been together like maybe three or four months before getting engaged. It was quick. But um, Kelsey, are you ready to talk about this next album? I'm so ready. I'm so ready. The next album we got from Miss Perry, who was busy touring, dating, making songs with Timbaland. She was also creating her next pop masterpiece. And that was the 2010 album, Teenage Dream. So I know this album is just like everything does (laughs) 100%. And following the success of one of the boys, Katie did not want her next record to alienate her fan base. She opted to keep it pop and not shift her style, believing it would show, quote, whether I meant to do this or I got lucky, end quote. And this was like her make or break album in her eyes. Like, was it a fluke the first time around or am I here to stay? And in a 2000 interview with Rolling Stone, she revealed that Teenage Dream would focus on the whirlwind last year of her life, dealing with her newfound fame, friendships, relationships, further stating that, quote, I'm not just going to talk about the beat and just dancing. I like to get into the meeting, end quote. Katie co-wrote Teenage Dream with a lot of the same figures that she worked with on One of the Boys, including Dr. Luke again, Max Martin again, Benny Blanco again, and this time she added a fourth main contributor, Bonnie McKee. And oh my God, I love Bonnie McKee. Bonnie McKee is amazing. She's written so many songs and has her own discography. I would highly recommend checking her out, specifically American Girl. That's a bop. But musically and lyrically, when it came to Teenage Dream, Katie stated, you're getting the sugary sweet, but you're also getting the, oh my goodness, she had to sit down for a minute and let things off her chest. So we're getting some fun. We're getting some heavy. It's a perfect storm and mix of everything. So the album comes out. Teenage Dream debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. And as of April 2023, the album has spent 319 weeks on that chart. Whoa, that's like years, right? Yeah, that's 6.1 years. Yep. So it's been on that chart for 6.1 years and rightfully (laughs) so. (laughs) Because not only has Teenage Dream been certified nine times platinum, but it has also hit a multitude of records throughout its run. Katie scored five Billboard Hot 100 number one singles from Teenage Dream, making her the second artist in the chart's 53-year history to amass five number one singles from one album after Michael Jackson achieved the feat with his 1987 album, Bad. So Katy Perry was up there with Michael Jackson at this point. And she's the first female in history to achieve this milestone. So she is doing it for the girls, and we love this for her. I could go on and on with all the records that she's broken. 
with this album. Teenage Dream was also nominated for Album of the Year and was criminally snubbed, losing to Arcade Fires. Arcade Fire. (laughs) Arcade Fire. Was it better than Teenage Dream? I don't think anything is better than Teenage Dream. Okay, that is the appropriate answer. So BH1 called Teenage Dream the most important pop album of the last 10 years. Even Halsey called Teenage Dream the perfect pop album, saying... Anyone who's trying to make a perfect pop album is wasting their time because Katie already did it with Teenage Dream. Whoa, that is a glowing review and agreed. It is chock full of bops. Can we talk about the album art also? Katie laying on a cotton candy cloud, which really anchored the visuals for this whole entire era. Well, some people may not realize that this image is actually a real painting. It's called Cotton Candy Katie, and it was made by this artist named Will Cotton. So he had been doing these paintings of women in a Candyland world sitting on a cotton candy cloud for more than a decade before this album even came out. And Katie was a huge fan of his. She reached out to him to see if some of his paintings were available for purchase. Purchase. And he was like, none of these are available right now, but wait, are you like the Katy Perry? Because <laughs> I don't have any paintings for you, but I would love to make a piece of your own if you would pose for me. So Katy comes to New York and she poses with Will in his studio in New York City. And he rented a cotton candy machine, (laughs) I think, to really get the real, you know, movement of the cotton candy. And Katie was, quote, lying basically naked for the whole afternoon. And he just took a bunch of pictures of her for the art piece. And with clothing designer Cynthia Rowley, they created (laughs) costumes for her to wear for these other paintings. And some of the images that they captured together were used in the cotton candy scented album packaging for teenage dream so during their session that's when katie was like hey like what if we made this painting the cover of my upcoming album and according to will she just knew that this album was going to be huge and she really wanted this to anchor a lot of the visuals for it and apparently Will hesitated. (laughs) And he said, quote, it's funny to say this now, but at the time I had to think about it. There's this whole thing in the art world about becoming non-commercial. This sounds insane now, but I didn't want to diminish how I was seen as an artist. Well, I'm really glad he came to his senses and agreed because this album cover just sets the tone perfectly for what's to come. I feel like they took that concept and put a lot of it in the music video of the first single that we're going to talk about and the first single off the album, which is California Girls. This song features Snoop Dogg, who co-wrote the song with Katie, Bonnie McKee, and the co-producers Dr. Luke, Max Martin, and Benny Blanco. According to Katie, California Girls is an answer song to Empire State of Mind. And is meant to pay homage to Katie and Snoop's home state. Katie said, quote, It's so great that Empire State of Mind is huge and that everybody has the New York song. But what the fuck? What about LA? What about California? And it's been a minute since we've had a California song and especially from a girl's perspective, end quote. And she's not wrong. She's doing it for the girls. So apparently Katie is just like us and literally used Wikipedia to research what rapper she wanted to collaborate with for the song, browsing West Coast artists before ultimately making the right decision, I would say, and landing on Snoop Dogg. Greetings, loved ones. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings, loved ones. Let's take a journey. And that song starts. I freaking love it. Also, we also love Wikipedia. So stars, they're just (laughs) like us. Truly. There was some drama around the song for a hot sec. Rondor Music, the company that owns the publishing rights to the Beach Boys California Girls. I wish they allegedly threatened a lawsuit due to some lyric similarities that they thought were a little too close for comfort. And it was just a threat. Nothing came to fruition. And eventually, 
Beach Boy Brian Wilson himself, who was a co-writer of the Beach Boys' California Girls, commended Katie's vocals on the song and described its melody as infectious. So I would say beef is officially squashed. This song was dubbed by critics the summer anthem, and that indeed it was. In fact, in 2012, Billboard ranked the song number one on their top 30 summer songs of all time. Wow. California Girls was a worldwide success. It peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for six consecutive weeks, giving Katie her second number one single in the United States and Snoop Dogg his third. The song also reached number one in seven other countries and is certified platinum or higher in nine countries, including four times platinum in Canada, six times platinum in Australia, and Diamond in the United States. California Girls received a Grammy nomination for Best Pop Collaboration and, again, was criminally snubbed. (sighs) Anyways, obviously, we got an incredibly iconic music video for this song. Katie and her dancers were like pieces of a board game that was like an adult fictional Candyfornia, a take on Candyland. And this video literally defines the Katy Perry aesthetic for me. Like there's candy and sweets, color, purple hair. Her outfit is just like bamboozled with all different kind of sparkly things. And she's shooting (laughs) frosting out of her boobs. Like what else do we need? Signature Katie move. So the visuals for this video came from that artist, again, Will Cotton, the guy who did the album cover art. So Katie's team let him know that Katie was so inspired by their painting and the visuals he was creating for her that they asked if he'd be willing to join as an artistic director for the visuals of the music video. So he worked really closely with the creative team to make a 3D Candyfornia game board using real sweets and pastries for the video, which I think just makes it all the more sweeter, pun intended. For this song, Kels, let me tell you, this song put me on a high horse because I felt like the coolest girl at BU when this song came out. (laughs) Like, this song was about me. I kind of got to own this song for a little bit. I also really love Snoop's rap in this. I think he was a great addition, a great feature. Like, the lyrics, it's perfect. Tone, tan, fit, and ready. And like, what about like wild, wild West Coast? These are girls I love the most. Tone, tan, fit, and ready. Turn it up because it's getting heavy. Wild, wild West Coast. These are the girls I love the most. Just so simple, but so perfect. I, I love it. Um, yeah. Um, I am not from California, but I would yeah. remix it to Connecticut girls. <laughs> oh my God. That works. No, it doesn't, Mary, because we are not tone tan fit and ready. <laughs> we are cold. <laughs> Anyways, so the music video, I feel like just solidified Katie as like the it girl for me. She was quirky. She was fun. She was witty to me. That was like what I wanted all my pop stars to be. Well, let's get into the second single off the album, Teenage Dream. And as a surprise to literally no one, this song holds a very, very special place in both of our hearts because it's just pop perfection. Yes, we've talked about it before. And yes, we're going to talk about it again. So this song was written by Katie, Max, Dr. Luke, Benny B, and Bonnie. And Katie described this song as really reminiscent of her youth. And I feel like it just holds such a nostalgic place in so many people's playlists because of the nostalgic feelings of your first love or your big crush in high school. I mean, That literal feeling of having butterflies in your tummy is what this song sounds like. So let's talk about the backstory. So Katie and Bonnie met in 2004, and they were both really into Lolita at the time. And I guess they were both just fascinated with this adolescent state of mind. That is straight from Wikipedia. I know Lolita is like a renowned book, but I just feel like it's a weird thing to be really into. So anyways, for the Teenage Dream sessions, Katie and Bonnie had like a forever young sort of song concept in mind. And Katie wrote this whole lyric about Peter Pan. But then they're like, ah, it's too young. It needs to be edgier. Mm. And so they were trying a bunch of different lyrics, but they would get a lot of pushback from the producers, particularly Benny. Bonnie said that Luke always made them Benny-proof, quote-unquote, everything, because Mm. if Benny doesn't get it, America won't get it. (laughs) As somebody in, like, the marketing world, I always run stuff by my husband, and I'm like, would you get this? 
if you had no other context, I mic proof everything. Bonnie continued working on the song. She said that she thought about her own adolescent years, her own first love, watching Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Yes, the one with Leo and Claire Danes and just dreaming of Leo. And she thought about her and her friends just sitting around at slumber parties in the 90s, giddy, even just thinking about boys. And uh, is that not just the most like nostalgic thing ever? Like everyone's sleeping bags asking who everyone has a crush on. So Bonnie, Bonnie and Benny, are you following? (laughs) Bonnie said, I thought about what Benny said. And I listened to the song again. And I was like, teenagers, that is such a great word. Teenager It is a very descriptive word. It packs a lot of emotion and imagery. I couldn't believe after all of our agonizing over youth themes that we had overlooked such an obvious one, the teenage condition. Unbridled emotions. Untamed emotions. There are just so many emotions. (laughs) Well, when the song was finished, Bonnie said, quote, we were all so pumped that it had paid off. I remember Max sitting back and saying, I wish we could bottle this feeling. It was really magical. Holy shit, if Max Martin says that to you, I wish I could bottle this song, you know, and I guess we have and put it onto our iPods. Technically, we have. It's so hard to enunciate, but it's like the feeling of this song. I know. I wish I could listen to it again (laughs) for the first time. Right. Yes. So did everybody love it as much as we did? Eh, not really. Not at first. Reviews were 50-50 when the song first came out. But since it has finally gotten the flowers that obviously we believe it deserves, <laughs> Glamour called it one of the best pop songs of all time. I mean, I've been saying this for years. <laughs> Mary has been beating this drum alone. Yes, and I will continue to. So this song is so good that Slate Magazine wanted to get all technical with it. So in a 2014 article, they had a composer analyze the song using music <laughs> theory to try to explain why is this song so good? And he said it was two main factors. The first was the total interplay of the chords and melody and Katie's use of syncopation in her vocals. If you, like me, do not know what syncopation is, it's, quote, a disturbance or interruption of the regular flow of rhythm, end quote. Like, you know, a placement of rhythmic stresses or accents where they wouldn't normally occur. So we have, like I'm living a T-H dream. T-H This composer went on to say, quote, the vocal melody establishes the key so clearly. Her voice is the sun and the song is in orbit around it. I mean, that analysis is poetry in itself. Thank you, Owen, for giving this song its flowers. So that was its critical success. Let's talk about its commercial success. Avi, it topped the Billboard charts, and this was Katie's third number one single. It entered the top 10 in 13 countries total. It was certified eight times platinum in the U.S. and went gold or platinum in 10 countries. It was nominated for a Grammy for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. This was Katie's third nomination in the category, but sadly, she lost to Lady Gaga, Bad Romance. That's a tough loss, but man, Bad Romance is also V-Good, so we won't hold it against Gaga. So, music video. This was directed by Yoan Lemoyne, and Katie came up with the concept along with the songwriters during their writing sessions. It was filmed in her hometown of Santa Barbara, which I feel like probably only just adds to the nostalgia of it all Mm -hmm. for her. And it starts with her driving down the PCH. She's in a convertible wearing Ray-Ban's Wayfarers, which... Everyone had a yes. pair. Of them. Where did yes. they all go? I had like eight pairs. I know. <laughs> and like the bright colored ones that everyone would give out at every event ever. Yes. It gave me like very Laguna Beach vibes. Like they're all meeting up on the beach and partying in a way that no one in actual high school ever did because it was too cool looking. <laughs> they like got a motel room or something in this video. And built a like, fort out of sheets. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah literally. <laughs> I was like, wow, my dad would be pouring over my credit card statement with the fine tooth comb. There would be no getting a motel room for me. No, that was not happening. No. I love the coloring of this video. Did you notice that? It's like hard to describe. It's like not natural. There's some sort of like hue on it. Yeah, I I feel like it's definitely literally supposed to be looking back at something with rose-colored glasses. Uh, It's perfect. (laughs) I honestly waited so long to do my notes on this song because it's hard to explain how important it was. It came out in such a pivotal time in our lives. We were in college. Just hearing it back, it just oozes the nostalgia, the pop music perfection. 
you know how I feel about this on the ranking of top pop songs. You're just not going to find many songs that have a better composition than this. Like from those intro guitar notes to the buildup through the verse where she's like singing in kind of a higher voice than she normally would. And then we get the heavy beat drops. She's singing in her normal tone of voice, that catchy chorus. We'll be young forever. You make me feel like I'm living a teenage dream the way you turn me on. And it's just relaying a feeling we all can relate to and look back on fondly. Like, oh, I just get chills. I know. I feel the same way. I used to have only one downloaded song on Spotify, like so you can access them with or without Wi-Fi or even without service. So if you're in the middle of nowhere, you can still play these downloaded songs. Well, I only had one and it was this one (laughs) because if (laughs) worse comes to worse, (laughs) I will just listen to this song on repeat and literally never get sick of it. (laughs) It's one of those ones that doesn't get old, but maybe it's just us, Kels. I don't know. You guys tell us. Are we overhyping Teenage Dream? No, Honestly, don't tell no. that. <laughs> don't, yeah, tell don't tell me. I can't handle it. <laughs> I cannot handle it. This is an echo chamber and we're fine with yes. it. <laughs> Thank you. Anyhow, continuing on to the third single off the album, another smash hit, Firework. Katie co-wrote this song with Esther Dean. She's a crazy cool producer, has her hands on so many different things, and also worked with producers Stargate and Sandy V. So this is not a Max Martin or Dr. Luke track. And Firework was a firework. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It stayed there for four non-consecutive weeks. It was top five on 20 charts around the world. It sold over 1 million copies in the United Kingdom and was certified 12 times platinum in the United States. Okay. And as of August, 2020, the song has sold over 7 million copies in the United States. Now, this song was also nominated for the Grammy Award Record of the Year, but lost to Adele's Rolling in the Deep. God, just brutal competition when you're going up against Adele. Katie has said that Firework is her favorite song on Teenage Dream. And she explained that, quote, I hope this could be one of those things where it's like, yeah, I want to put my fist up and feel proud and feel strong. But I also don't want to be cheesy. It's a fine line. And I think Firework would be like the opus or my one song if I had to pick a song to play because it has a great beat, but also a fantastic message, end quote. And it has a freaking thumping beat, hence my surprise that our Swedes weren't behind it. And it truly does have a very powerful and positive message. Did you know that the lyric, though, like the 4th of July, on the night, like the 4th of July, just on the night, like the 4th of July, it almost didn't happen because apparently the original lyrics were like, on the night like a firefly and apparently it it became fourth of july through like a miss here like an accident people thought she was saying fourth of july but she was actually saying firefly and then she was just like everyone's saying fourth of july so i'm just going with fourth of july and i think she made the right decision it packs more of a punch if you will oh yeah i mean fireworks fourth of july (laughs) firefly just does not meet the level no it worked out and Obviously, Katie has performed this song a ton, often in very momentous occasions. Like, notably, she performed it at President Biden's inauguration in 2021 and King Charles's coronation in 2023, just last year. Okay, remember when everybody was so confused why Katie was performing at the coronation? Like, I feel like people were really snarky about it. They were like, well, that's random. Well, hopefully this episode clears it up because she is royalty. (laughs) We're not even even halfway through her discography. Like, hello. We got a music video, obviously, and it was directed by the David Myers. We've talked about him a bunch. He's worked with the greats. We see Katie singing and dancing around Budapest. Random, but she looks really pretty in it. We get interspersed scenes of youths becoming confident in themselves. Again, very powerful message behind this song. And 
by the way, these were real people in the music videos, normies, just like you and me. And because they held an open casting call for this, and it drew an unprecedented 38,000 applicants. For this song, you know, it's the relatability. I can indeed confirm that many of us have felt like a plastic bag, drifting in the wind, wanting to start again at one point or another in our lives. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? I also feel like, again, the song was so astronomically successful, like long term, like we're still hearing it in the Olympics, like this year, she's performing it at the coronation (laughs) last year. Like, I think it is a little cheesy, um, but the song itself is pop perfection. I think that this song is hard to sing at karaoke. Because um, I have tried. Maybe you got it. Really, it's you gotta hold that firework for a longer time than you think you do. I agree. It is a little cheesy, but it still makes me a little emo listening to it. I feel like it has such a great message. Yeah. Who doesn't need a little self empowering bop every now and then? You know, we all do. Well, the next <laughs> single. <laughs> I don't know what category to put this one in. Maybe just like the fantasy category, just the for funsies category, because that single is E.T. So Katie wrote this song with its producers, Dr. Luke and Max Martin. I mean... In the first point zero one seconds, like holy <laughs> heavy beats. Is anyone surprised if you've listened at all that this is a Max Martin track? <laughs> this was Katie's fifth consecutive number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It topped the charts for seven weeks, only to be replaced by Rihanna and Britney's SNM remix. Na, 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 come on. I like it, like it. I'll allow it. We'll allow it in this one instance. (laughs) This song is certified eight times platinum. And according to Billboard, it was the fourth biggest song of 2011. We'll talk about how I feel. Yes. (laughs) But this song almost didn't happen because Katie was never supposed to hear the beat that inspired it. This was accidentally played for her during a recording session with Dr. Luke and Max Martin, and they originally intended the track for 3-6 Mafia. But Katie heard it and she was like, no. I need to have that. That's happened a couple times for some of the artists yes. that we've talked about. Is Max just like accidentally like putting in the wrong CD like every time he sits down with someone? Like <laughs> maybe he's just like an evil mastermind and yes. maybe he's the mastermind and he was planting a seed. But if I told you I'm a mastermind. So Katie told MTV News, I heard it and I always knew I wanted to write this futuristic, alienistic song and it worked out perfectly. And according to Katie, this song lyrically speaks of falling in love with a foreigner. Okay, Russell Brand coded. I'm like, LOL, that's me when somebody texts me with green texts. You're an alien. (laughs) Get away from me. My husband has green texts. I was going to say, doesn't Mike have an Android? (laughs) Well, this song was fairly well received. It won favorite song at the People's Choice Awards. It received three nominations at the 2012 Billboard Music Awards. And the critics were positive for the most part. In fact, a lot of them were comparing this song to other really famous songs rolling stone said that it was similar to some ballads by evanescence some guy at the qmi agency i don't even know what that is said the song uses the stomp stomp clap beat from queens we will rock you i get a little bit of the queen reference oh yeah the boom boom clap 100 percent. that's agreed Let's talk about this music video. Uh, So the music video stars Kanye West. And it starts with what I can only describe as Wally core. You know, (laughs) Wally, the Disney movie, the little robot that could. Well, there's trash and metal everywhere in this desolate 
land. And we see this little robot laying there with just the faintest of little sparks. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly we're in space with Kanye West. And then suddenly mm-hmm. we're outside this spaceship with a Dementor-like thing that's like shape-shifting in a purple cloak that not unlike the bad thing in Halloween Town. That was the visual I was getting from this purple cloak alien thing. And if you've ever seen the movie Life, probably you haven't, Mary, because you're not a movie. No. (laughs) But anyone else out there listening, if you saw that movie with Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, when they find that alien on Mars, this is what it reminds me of if that thing was wearing a purple Dementor cloak from Halloween Town. So that thing is just going all buck wild, all twisty and windy, just like in the galaxy. Then the purple people eater thing morphs into this other alien where we finally see Katie's beautiful face. And she's wearing a headpiece that looks like one of those evil mushroom things from The Last of Us on HBO. But if it was morphed with like a Star Wars meets Dune type royal person. So then she's giving a Snow Princess Elsa vibes in an all-white ensemble, and she finds the little robot on this desolate earth. She kisses the robot and brings the robot to life and turns it into a human, I think. And then they stare at the wasteland that Earth has become with their butts showing. And Katie is like this alien centaur where her bottom half is a deer, but the top part is human. If it sounds chaotic, it's because it was. But it won Best Collaboration and Best Special Effects at the VMAs, Mm. (laughs) nonetheless. And Matthew from Rolling Stone described the video as a sequel to Avatar or a Katy Perry (laughs) video game. It's honestly too Avatar for me. Like, I get why they went in that direction, but I need a little bit more of a plot. I feel like the song doesn't really have that much depth to it. So they just tried to do really cool shit in the music. Like, I think it was just like, oh, this would be cool. <laughs> See, I really like this song. The beat is so hypnotizing. So hypnotizing. Literally. I, I don't Syncopation. know. We learned a new word today. <laughs> and <laughs> we really did. I, I don't know. I just liked this total pivot in vibe in direction from her, but I know you feel differently. Yeah, I I know I'm in the minority here, but this is definitely my least favorite song on the album. I oh. hit skip so fast. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I don't know what it is. I think maybe it was played on the radio too much, but I will say that I love that Katie takes chances. She experiments with her look and the themes and her visuals. Yeah. And her sound, it's never boring. And I never know what to expect from her. And that keeps it fun. (laughs) This was definitely a a wrench in the algorithm of Teenage Dream. And it landed for some, but not for others. And fair enough. Her next single, her fifth single off the album, this woman was giving us so much content. That was Last Friday Night. In parentheses, TGIF. I have to make sure we include parentheses. The song was produced by Dr. Luke and Max Martin, and they co-wrote the song with Katie and Bonnie. This is like the crew for this album and the last, basically. But the background about this song is basically, no surprise, an IRL experience. Katie revealed that she was inspired to write last Friday night after running naked through a park with her friends. And I just feel like that is so Katy Perry. And according to Music Rooms, Katie said that, quote, last Friday night is a song about debauchery because I had one of those nights in Santa Barbara. We went out to this place called Wildcat and got crazy. We had a couple beers and danced until we died. And then they brought the party back to the hotel room. And she said most of the song is actual truth, apart from the menage a trois, unfortunately. (laughs) One of the friends on this wild trip with Katie was Bonnie, who said that the song perfectly encapsulated Katie and Bonnie's wild drinking days from their youth. So this is an autobiographical song. They went streaking in the park, skinny dipping in the dark. So this song made her the first and only female artist to have five consecutive number one singles from one album in the Billboard Hot 100, again, tying Michael Jackson's bad. 
As of August 2020, the single had been certified six times platinum and has sold more than 3.8 million copies. This music video is where we get Katy Perry's, I guess, alter ego, Kathy Beth Terry. In an interview with MTV, the music video director Mark Klasfeld said that the video storyline was inspired by 16 Candles and the other works of John Hughes. I feel like we've talked about John Hughes a lot, Home Alone, as well as all those great 80s high school movies. And the costume for Katie's character, Kathy Beth Terry, was inspired by the character Betty Suarez, played by America Ferreira on Ugly Betty. Glee stars Kevin McHale and Darren Chris appear in the music video, along with Kenny G, Corey Feldman, Debbie Gibson, and Rebecca Black. When I tell you this was a star-studded affair, I would not be exaggerating. I love that she brought the Princess of Fridays, Rebecca mm. Black, into it. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. It was such a fun little wink and nod, and Rebecca Black's song Friday came out just a few months before, so it was still very fresh, and everyone was still singing that song all the time. But yeah, I love these lyrics to the song. It's just like a flashback to the days where hangovers didn't hurt as much. Ugh. I didn't get them until I was way older. It's a blacked out blur, but I'm pretty sure it ruled. It's a blacked out blur, but I'm pretty sure it ruled. Damn. Uh, we were young once, Mary. We were young once. I know. <laughs> this song is like what I thought college would be like. Kind of like how Laguna Beach made me think that high school would be way cooler than it was. <laughs> luckily for me and also my parents, it was not it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. The sixth and final single off the album, The One That Got Away. This was produced by Dr. Luke Max Martin. They also co-wrote the song with Katie. It peaked at number three on the charts. It was the only single on the album that did not make it to number one sadly. And it made Teenage Dream the seventh album in the 53-year history of the Hot 100 to generate at least six top tens. Pretty exciting. Even though it didn't get to number one, it still did a lot for the album and its repertoire. (laughs) It was certified gold in the U.S. And Katie said she really liked the song because it showed a different side to her. She said the song is about when you promise someone forever, but you end up not being able to follow through. It's a bittersweet story. Hopefully the listener learns from hearing it and never has to say they had the one getaway. Ooh. I also read in 2017 that Katie revealed that the song was actually about Josh Groban? Like, I didn't even know they were a thing. (laughs) Okay, I'm so glad you brought this up because in our Perez Hilton episode, we mentioned this one iconic house party in the year 2008 that was totally star-studded, that lit up all of our Twitter feeds and had everybody going feral, wanting to know what happened at this party. It had Amanda Bynes, Gaga, Katy Perry, Josh Groban. They were all there and Perez Hilton just randomly called them up on a Saturday night and all these celebrities just descended into the Hollywood Hills to hang out with him. Well, apparently, Katie and Josh were flirting at that party and that's where it all started. They never confirmed it publicly at the time. And there are photos of them from this night that we have posted on our Instagram, by the way. And you can see that Katie's body language is like a little coy and shy. So cute. So this music video, we get another fun one. We have Diego Luna, who plays Katie's boyfriend in the video. He's in Narcos, Mexico, and I love him. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we see them fighting, falling in love, and then we later see her as this elderly woman dressed all conservatively, standing (laughs) by a fence looking into the distance. And Stevie Nicks narrates the teaser video where we learn that this song is about regret and not letting the one you love get away. Entertainment Weekly actually compared the video to Titanic. (laughs) And the reporter noted that the video was more tragic than they were expecting from Katy Perry. But that just goes back to what you were saying, Mary. She loves a period piece in her music videos. Yes, she does. This one, again, we get another glimpse at the emotional depth and range of Katy and her artistry. It does. Definitely reminds me a bit of thinking of you. The beat's like more up tempo than I would expect. 
mm-hmm. but with like a really sad tenor. I don't know. I kind of like that about it, but I hear you. It doesn't jump out of the catalog to me. Right. But okay, so we went through the freaking six singles that she gave us. I wanted to do a quick honorable mention, a song that I think should have been a single and is criminally underrated. And that is Hummingbird Heartbeat. Now, this song was written by Katie, Christopher Stewart, Stacey Barth, and Monte Newble. Katie has come out and said that this song is 100% about Russell. And musically, it's kind of like an 80s-styled hard rock song that contains a mixture of elements from rock, electronica, pop. And lyrically, the song compares the feeling of being in love to the speed of a hummingbird's little heartbeat, which is actually so cute. And Katie revealed that this song was one of the first songs she wrote for the album after she finished up her Hello Katie tour in 2009. And she recalled that she was at home in Santa Barbara, and she said she was at breakfast when she saw this hummingbird and she was like i wonder how fast her heart speed like how many beats per minute and using that idea for how someone makes you feel instead of the butterflies it makes your heart beat really really fast i love that's like a creative take on the like mm-hmm. getting the butterflies in your stomach it's a little hummingbird heartbeat and critics loved this song and many believed it should have been a single just like me and i read a couple critics say that they believe she could have been the first with six number one singles off an album if she had done this like maybe instead of the one that got away potentially they think that that could have put her into that category (gasps) i just think it was a huge miss just a great pop song upbeat happy catchy i will go to bat for this song i agree this is a fabulous song and i too am surprised like why why (laughs) Just why? (laughs) Justice for the hummingbirds and their heartbeats. And hummingbirds are so cute. Well, we need to leave things here. And we're going to pick it back up next week with part two of Katy Perry freaking bops. (sighs) It continues. It It continues. continues. Thank you all for listening. I hope you agreed with our hot takes. And if you don't, you can tell us privately on our Instagram (laughs) at when they popped pod. And if you want to tell us publicly, if you agree with us and love us, you can leave five stars and a review. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.